Our scripture reading today comes from Galatians 2, verses 11 through 16, and you can find it on page 6 of your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. Listen for the word of God. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it, then, that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we, too, have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law no one will be justified. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we are continuing in our study of the book of Galatians here from the New Testament, and uh, we are going to have a brief time of question and answers Q&A right after the sermon and song, and we didn't get a chance to do that last week, so we want to make sure we have some time to do that. So we will try to keep things brief here, which is all right, because this passage actually is so rich with meaning and implications for our lives that we're actually going to look at it across two weeks. So we're going to return to the same themes, similar themes, expanded themes next week as we add on a couple more verses as well. And so before we continue on, let me say a word of prayer together. Jesus, uh, we ask for your help. Man, I know my heart. And I'm guessing a lot of other people's hearts are like this. Sometimes we don't want to hear the truth. Sometimes we don't want to hear your grace. Sometimes we just don't want to hear from you. (laughs) Help us to hear. Help us to listen. Because we know your intent is always to give life. So we pray that these words would come alive in a way that gives us life, give us your spirit, give us more of your son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been in the middle of an awkward public confrontation between two people standing there, maybe listening in, tension filling the room, not knowing exactly how to respond or what to say, or if it's even okay to say anything? Maybe it's happened to you recently, maybe in the past, maybe in the workplace, maybe in your own living room. Here in this passage, we have described and portrayed before us a great confrontation. And it was awkward, to say the least, between two great apostles, Cephas, also known as Peter, Cephas being the Aramaic version of his name, and the apostle Paul, who is relating this story that happened several years earlier in a different area in Antioch, as he explains his relationship with the apostles. You just have to picture in your minds what was going on here as Paul describes it. 
He tells us that Cephas, on a regular basis, he tells us in verse 12, would eat with Gentiles, non-Jewish Christians in the community. That he used to eat, even as a Jewish Christian, with everybody and with anybody in the church. It was actually a big statement of intimacy and acceptance. In fact, eating meals in the ancient days was a big gesture of inviting someone into your life. When you ate a meal, shared a meal with a person, you were communicating a number of things. You were saying, I invite you in. After all, there weren't as many restaurants as there are today. When you were eating a meal, you were normally inviting a person into your home, into your private spaces of life, into indeed life itself. Much more than just food was being exchanged. You were also saying, I am your peer. That we actually are acknowledging together our mortality and our finitude. That you and I, we are the same. If we do not eat this meal, we will die. That levels the playing field. There's a mutuality. You and I are peers. And in fact, even the fact that you are standing eye level at a meal or sitting or reclining eye level also symbolizes the peership indicated by a shared meal. You also told one another in sharing a meal, I submit myself to you. Whatever you bring to the table as my host, I'm at your mercy to eat it. I don't have power over this situation, over your home, over your table. I give myself to you. There's a sense of submission, a sense of surrender. And so it meant everything for the great apostle Cephas to be sharing meals as a Jewish man, now with Gentiles, non-Jews from all different ethnic and cultural backgrounds. And he did this because he had come to know what we've been studying, and that is the good news of God's grace. This message that you get right with God, not by performing morally, nor by conforming culturally, as a way of making yourself acceptable before God and other people, but rather by embracing Jesus, who accomplished everything we need for salvation. Cephas believed this stuff. And so he loved and he invited people in. But then one day, we're told in the second half of verse 12, Cephas began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles. So when a Greek Christian would come to sit at Cephas's table, hey, can I join you guys for this meal? The response that was given was, sorry, the non-Jewish table is over there. Or when, say, a Syrian Christian would invite Cephas over for a meal at their home, he would decline and then maybe later go to a Jewish Christian's home for dinner. What happened? Paul explains in verse 12 that certain men had come from Jerusalem, Jewish Christian headquarters. They were described as the circumcision group because they were teaching that you had to undergo Jewish circumcision in order to be right with God. 
Do you really want to be fully acceptable to God? Do you really want to be in the spiritual big leagues? Do you? Well, then you got to do a whole lot more stuff for God. Get circumcised, eat a kosher diet, observe Jewish holidays, follow the Jewish ceremonial law. It was a whole different way of relating to God. And tragically, Cephas was influenced by this teaching. And so he stops eating with non-Jewish Christians who hadn't been circumcised, who didn't follow Jewish customs. And in verse 14, Paul tells us, by your actions, Cephas... You are forcing Gentiles to follow Jewish customs. You are, in effect, making a massive public statement that to get right with God, you need to perform these Jewish customs. You need to conform to this Jewish culture. And if you're not right with God, you're not right with me. Not eating with you. You can't really be accepted here unless you become more Jewish. In other words, Cephas' error was basically the sin of racism. Now, we're not all that comfortable with that word, are we? And we don't like to think that racism is a problem for us. We tend to get defensive, don't we? Maybe already, even right now, in our minds and hearts. Either we feel like, hey man, I'm, I'm a victim of racism oftentimes. How can I be guilty of it then? Or perhaps we get defensive in other ways. I think it happens often in this country, given our long history of racial strife. It's one of the worst things that you can be as an American, a racist. In fact, we often describe it as a matter of ignorance. And you see the implications there. You're not then just calling me evil. You're calling me something worse. You're calling me unsophisticated. You're calling me dumb. And in some parts, including these parts, In Washington, D.C., among many highly educated people, that's just about the worst thing that you can call me, isn't it? Unsophisticated. We are so quick to acquit ourselves from any charge of the sin of racism. But you see, part of what this passage tells us is that it can be more subtle than we think. For Cephas, it wasn't exposed in a racial sensitivity quiz. It was exposed in his guest list for dinner. And just like with Cephas, you don't even have to say a word. And in your relationships, you still communicate a theology, a divine acceptance. Racism, as this passage defines it, can be much more common than we think. Dear friends, it is in every one of our hearts. If we're honest with ourselves, don't we, like Peter, quietly demand cultural conformity from others all the time? You're wrong in the way that you do that. You ought to be more like this. 
to be approved, to be accepted. The way we make a a split-second judgment about a person based upon what they're wearing, whether if it's a hoodie or if it's a pair of khakis. The way we're at a restaurant, we just kind of quietly get annoyed when we think a person or a group is being too loud and we happen to take note of their ethnicity. The way we form opinions about a person's intellect based upon their accent, whether if that's regional or foreign. I don't accept you because you don't dress right. Or I don't accept you unless you talk right or talk at the right volume. See, here's the thing. Most of the time, we don't even realize we're guilty of this because we take what actually are cultural customs And we impose them upon other people as if they were universal moral law. One example of this, several years ago, was talking to two brothers in a church. They were going through some conflict and had to talk things out. So I said, look, let's meet together. I'll be the referee. Let's talk through some stuff. You know, let's have a drink and work through things together. And as one of the brothers started talking, he said, look, the reason why I'm here is because this person disrespects me. He disrespects me. And I asked, well, how do you know he disrespects you? Where did you get that information? He said, because we set up an appointment to meet and he came late. He was not on time, and that tells me that he doesn't respect me or my time. And what we had to do in talking through this thing was to turn to that brother and say, Hey, do you understand, friend, that not all people relate to time maybe in exactly the way that you do? Do you recognize that sometimes different cultures relate to time differently? And though it might be a sign of respect, could you actually be open to the possibility that it might be something else? And turning to the other brother to say, hey, do you understand that it may not seem like a big deal to you, but in fact to many people showing up on time for an appointment, especially in the Western world, can be an important sign of showing respect, honoring and valuing a person's time. Can you reciprocate by trying to labor to understand that? But see, the thing that we always do and so often do instinctually is to take things that are, in fact, cultural and stylistic and we turn them into universal moral law. And then we look around and we say, you're falling short and you're not being right and you're not doing it right. You need to conform culturally. You need to be less Latin American and more white, less white and more Asian, less Asian and more African, less African and more African American, less African American and more like me. And we do this, don't we? And it's not just individual and personal. There are ways in which this gets expressed in group settings, in communities, in institutions, in society, in neighborhoods. Where there's sort of a way in which group norms become defined. And then people start to feel like they're excluded or accepted based upon whether you are conforming to those cultural norms. Notice in verse 13... Paul says the other Jews in the church also joined in with 
Cephas in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. There was a chain reaction here because of different people's actions that were exclusive. There are unspoken laws and rules that we embed into our relationships in group settings that start to define what's normal. Like to be a Christian, you need to express your emotions in a certain way with outward intensity or maybe reservedly. Or to be a Christian, to be a part of this community's inner circle, you have to understand these kinds of jokes and laugh really hard and audibly like Jim. (laughs) Actually, I talked with someone several years ago who originally was from Africa and talked about his experience in a church, actually a small group, a wonderful community. And he was humble about it when he explained it to me, but he said, I loved these dear friends in this group that we were meeting in weekly. But you know, I always felt like a little bit of an outsider. It wasn't because anyone said anything to me. It wasn't because people were kicking me out of the room. It wasn't because anyone was spewing venomous racial remarks. It was because everyone was cracking jokes that I didn't understand. It was because they were making references to things that I didn't grow up with. And do you see, dear friends, even with our best intentions, how this can happen? Because cultural norms can be set and embedded even without us knowing it. But sometimes we do know it and we don't pay attention enough to it. The way in which a church, a community, a neighborhood can make people feel like a second-class citizen or a perpetual outsider or makes them feel like there's something here that I'm not getting that is my ticket to the inner circle and I'm not there. Dear church, do we do that? And I don't mean just in terms of identifying specific things and just being able to say, yes, there it is, that's important. But do we even realize that that's something that does happen? That that's a constant dynamic that works itself out in communities and in this neighborhood? Look, friends, you don't have to wear a white hood or raise a defiant fist or refuse to date someone from a different ethnic background to be guilty of some form of the sin of racism. You, in fact, can even be an apostle of Jesus Christ. I am a recovering racist by the grace of God. Who else is with me in making that confession by the grace of God? Can we be a community that is growing in our knowledge of how this kind of superiority and this kind of demand for conformity happens all the time. Can we be that sort of community? Okay, how then do you change? How then do you grow? How do we oppose these racial tendencies in our hearts We're told in verse 11 that Paul spoke with Cephas and opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. And notice that Paul didn't just say, Cephas, stop it. Just stop being a racist. 
stop doing what you're doing. And he didn't either try to shame him. You're so unsophisticated. You know better than that. Or he didn't also just enforce a new apostolic diversity training seminar either. (laughs) Not that any of those things are a bad idea per se. But notice where Paul goes, and he goes straight to the heart. He says, Cephas, remember the good news of Jesus. In verse 14, he says, you're not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. This good news of God's gracious acceptance of you based upon Jesus. You're not living like you believe it. And in verse 15, he says, Cephas, you and I are Jewish Christians. We are circumcised. We abide by many Jewish customs. But he says, but we know, you know, that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Paul is using the language of being justified. It's the language of acceptance as a gift of God, and it comes from the ancient courtroom. To be justified is to get a good verdict from God. God justifies you. In other words, he pronounces you righteous. He declares you to be acceptable, to be loved, not because you earn his verdict through all these works of the law, not because you're doing well or performing well or conforming culturally or performing morally, but rather because you have put your faith in Jesus Christ who stands in your place. Paul is reminding Peter that God justifies, that God calls people accepted and loved and blessed because of their embrace of Jesus and nothing else. Not because of their racial background, not because of their ability to conform to some cultural standard, Not because they look like or talk like or sound like or dress like or eat like anyone else. Because God's grace is that big. Able to envelop and invite the whole world. And no distinction ethnically, culturally or racially is too high or too thick that Jesus can't break down. And Peter, Cephas, is invited to remember that incredibly radical, gracious acceptance by God himself that he has experienced. And then invited to ponder as we are to say, if God has accepted you, won't you also accept your brother? Whereas Paul says in Romans 15, verse 9, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. See, we really see the power of this approach, which gets really deep down inside, doesn't just leave it on the surface of our behavior. 
but really gets to the heart of what do you believe makes you right in the eyes of God, in the eyes of yourself, in the eyes of other people? What is it that really gives you worth and significance and value and meaning? Because whatever you think it is, you really will grip really tight to those things and make other people abide by them too, including if those things are your cultural identity and practices. You'll need people to be just like you. If my righteous standing before God in my mind depends upon me, then who I am and what I've done is the basis for everything to me. My sense of value and acceptance. And if that's the case, then I'm going to get really arrogant about everything about me. And I am then also going to condemn everyone who's not like me and force them to become more like me. But if I know that my race and cultural customs, my actions, my deeds, my works don't make me righteous and acceptable in God's sight, then I can start to let go of those things, can't I? But you got to name it for what it is. You got to first see that you have this operating in your heart and see the way in which we all impose this upon other again, others. Again, it doesn't have to even come out of your mouth. It can just be an attitude or just a fleeting thought. Oh, this is good news. God gives us power to overcome a racist heart. This is good news for me, it's good news for you, it's good news for our neighborhood. Will we live in line with the truth of the gospel? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this word that we can now consider how to apply into our lives, and we pray that you would give us uh, gospel wisdom, honesty, uh, conviction, or even the right questions, because maybe we're not right there yet. But we pray that you would change us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and sing the song, Just As I Am. It's a song of, well, God's acceptance, his grace, his pardon to us and as we extend to others.